The following message was recorded Wednesday, January 31, 2024. Pastor Rick covers Ezekiel 39 verses 1 through 3. God will destroy the armies of Gog, starting with their weapons. Is Psalm 76 a prophecy of this? Let's see. And now, here's Pastor Rick. So last week we were learning that in Ezekiel chapter 38, God had called a group of people and its leader to come against Israel, purposely drawing them down into this conflict for the purpose of destroying them because of their hatred for God's people. When God was judging all of the surrounding nations in Israel of old, ancient Israel, he was judging them either for their attitudes or their actions towards his people, Israel. Why would they have such a, why would there be such suspicion among the Jews of Gentiles today even? Why? Because of the persecution. And when did this persecution of Jews begin? Egypt. Egypt. When they first came out of Egypt, they were being persecuted there. And when did it end, Jeffrey? It hasn't. It's going on to this very day, isn't it? Yeah, our representative of Judaism back there. <laughs> Is that why you're sitting in the back? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Put your wall to the back, huh? <laughs> you and the Italiano back there, okay. But nonetheless, they've been persecuted since they came out of Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the Germans, the Americans, the Muslims, right? The whole world is against God's people. How do you explain that? How do you understand that? I'm sorry? Because they're the representative of God and his moral and ethical purity, his law, which we cannot measure up to. Who can complete the law? Anybody? No. Which of us have not sinned? Today. <laughs> You'd like to get through one day, wouldn't you? Just in thought alone? No, no, can't do it. It's impossible. But he brought us the moral and ethical purity of God through the law. The law showed us that we could never measure up our need for a savior. I'm a sick man. I'm terminal. I need a physician, right? That's what he was telling me. And Jesus was that answer. He's the solution. He's the cure, isn't he? Yeah. Now, it's the book, the blood, and the blessed hope that came to us through who? To the Jewish people. What was birthed on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost had fully come? Messianic Judaism. Why? Because they were all Jews. When we're looking at Paul and his conversion in Acts chapter 9, immediately after he's converted in Damascus, where does he go? Where does he go in Damascus? To the synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? Gentiles? Romans? Greeks? Who's in the synagogue? Jews. Jews. And what's he preaching? Jesus, the Yeshua, the Mashiach, the Messiah. Now, you would see in your text, they interpret the word uh, Christos as Christ, but Christos is the interpretation from the Greek of the Hebrew, Mashiach or Messiah. So you need to understand that. Now, Satan, what's his number one tactic against everyone? Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Divide a man from his wife, children from their parents, oh, etc., etc., etc. But the division he is after more than anywhere else is to divide the Gentile world from the Jew. Why? The Jew brought us salvation through Christ. They brought us an understanding of the Savior that would come through the line of Judah, right? To the Jew first, but then to the Gentile. And to this very day, he's been so effective, hasn't he? In, 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 in blinding or clouding the eyes of the Gentiles with regard to the Jewishness or the, the Israelology of the Bible, 
That, that, listen, we don't supersede Israel, do we? No, 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 we've been grafted in. The church is the completion of all the promises that God had made in the Old Testament. As we embrace Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. But they've been so effective. On Saturday morning, fellas, we're in, where are we? What, Ephesians chapter, verse 10 tells us what? You remember, fellas? Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. This is so foundational. You need to understand this, and most people don't understand it, but I want you to understand it, okay? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Let me turn there and read it to you aloud, but you follow along with me. I want you to understand what Paul is sharing with us here. This is, this is so uh, foundational, instrumental that we understand this because that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing today. In chapter 2, he talks about this great mystery, this mystery that was hidden throughout the ages past in the Old Testament, but now being revealed. And what was this mystery that Paul was revealing to the world? Unity, that Jews and Gentiles would become one new people. And for the Jew, that was hard to even comprehend, that we would become one with the Gentiles, those who have persecuted us all these years, who've caused such pain and sorrow into our life. We're going to become one with them, and they're going to become joint heirs in all of the promises that God made to Israel. Yep. Yep. And that's what he's saying here. Now, what he's doing, listen, what, what Paul is saying here is that what God is doing, he's trying to bring unity to that which Satan is trying to divide. And what are they trying to do? Steal the blessing of Abraham to the rest of the world. Abraham, through your descendants and through your seed, I will bless the world. Wow. Through who? Abraham, through who? And Abraham? The promised Messiah, the seed of the woman, right? And isn't it amazing how effective Satan has been in separating the world from the Jews and, and not receiving that promise that has been given to them? And so many are ignorant of it today, really, the full expression of it. What do we say about marriage in the church today? What's the divorce rate? 52, 53, 54%, some crazy number. Like, how, how could that be? A man shall leave his father and mother, be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a great mystery of which I speak concerning Christ and his church. That the person of the Holy Spirit desires, Ray, to make you and Pam one through his spirit. Not you and your children, right? But you and your wife. They become one flesh. And when God has joined together, let no man break asunder, not even Satan. But look at how effective he's been in just dividing a husband from her, his wife, a woman from her man. Terrible. But it happens. Sin. Right? And, and, and again, again, that's his number one tactic. Now, the greatest division that he's been so sex successful in bringing about is the division between an understanding of our Jewishness and the Jewish Messiah who has come to save the world and the rest of the world. But what Paul says is now, now the church has been given this wonderful privilege, this honor, this commandment, this task to manifest the glory of God through the, through the God's power of reconciliation. Where did I say to go? Oh, good. You got good memories. Okay. Verse 10, specific to what we're talking about. 
uh, verse 9, and to make see what the fellowship of this mystery is, which is from the beginning of ages was hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, now, the manifold, multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known by the ecclesia. Who's the ecclesia? That's a Greek word for church. We, in, we interpret this word ecclesia in the English language as church. But think of it as Jews and Gentiles together, one new body, and primarily, what culture are we? Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> what kind of a wedding are we having? You know, the, the world is preparing for World War III, right? What are we preparing for? A wedding. We're preparing for a wedding, right? And what kind of a wedding are we having? A Jewish wedding. So if you understand anything about Jewish wedding custom, you know precisely that's what is going to happen. But nonetheless, look. Verse 12 again. Excuse me. Excuse me. I got a new Bible here. That's very small print. Uh, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Who are they? principalities and powers, angelic beings, demons and angels, right? Good angels, bad angels, demons and angels. Well, what is it the church is manifesting to the world? If the gospel has not just gone out globally, worldwide, all right, to every human being, but the gospel is being manifest, made known to principalities and powers, to angels and demons, the reconciling power of God that he can bring us together as one. Jews and Gentiles are meant to be one, one new man, one body, right? And where, where does it, listen, where does our world need to see that reconciling power of God more than anybody else right now? In the church, in marriages, in our culture, look how divided we are. There's a movie coming out next, next month in March uh, called Civil War. What, uh, is it predictive? It's pretty disturbing, but it's, it's capitalizing on the division that we exist in our country. We're so divided by what we believe. It goes on to say, according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, and confidence through faith in him, therefore I ask that you not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Paul said, don't worry about my tribulations. I'm suffering because of my promotion of the gospel among you Gentiles. When he stood before his brethren there in Acts chapter 22, and he's about to be arrested, but he asked the commander if he could just speak to them one more time. And he's on the steps there at the Antonio Fortress, and he's speaking to the Jews, and he starts to speak to them in the Hebrew language, which the commander didn't know. But they're all listening now because he's speaking to them in their language. And they listened intently. Wow. Until he said that he was called to be a minister, a preacher, of the grace of God unto the Gentiles, and their heads exploded. <laughs> and so he's saying, hey, that's, that's precisely why I'm suffering, because God has sent me to minister to you that blessing of Abraham now that has come to you full force in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be doing. Our world is becoming more and more. Uh, the BDS movement, what was that? Boycott, no, divest. Boycott, divest, and sanction. Boycott and divest and sanction who? Jews. Jews. When did that start, this, this BDS movement? No, 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 turn, turn of the year, turn of the century. 2004, 2005 is when it really took off. And, and a, lot of, a lot of mainline churches jumped on board. 
And they said, no, 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 we don't hate Jews. This is not Jew hatred. No, 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 we're not hating Jews. What are they hating? Zionism. They said Zionism is racism. Is Zionism racism? Absolutely not. What is Zionism? <laughs> the belief that God gave them the land that they're in by the Lord, mandated, given to them. And we're Zionist Christians. We believe that as well, don't we? Yeah. Now, Zionism is not racism. So then you went from the BDS movement to the, to the DEI movement. What is that? Diversity, Diversity equity, and inclusion, right? Now it's full-blown. They're not hiding it anymore. It's not, oh, no, no, we don't hate Jews. We just hate Zionists. No, we hate Jews now. Where do they want to see Israel and the Jews? Driven into the Mediterranean, not to exist any longer. 51% of Harvard students, Harvard, some of our brightest and best, believe Israel needs to be eliminated. Is that not amazing to you? 90% of the Palestinians, not Hamas, the Palestinians, the citizens over there, think that Israel needs to be eliminated. It's unbelievable to me what's happening. But it, what's, ex what's being exposed is the hatred of Jesus the hatred of the Jews, and those who would support them, the church, Christians, right? So be ready. It's going to be a test. You know, there's been a test for a number of years, theological and discipleship test, on where you stand with the alphabet people. You know the alphabet people? LDBDQXYZ? You know, the alphabet people? So where you stand with the alphabet people is going to really determine where you stand with the Lord theologically, doctrinally and what kind of a disciple are you are you more fear of man or are you fear of God now we've failed that test haven't we that's a culture right we know Romans 1 Romans 1 God said he gave us over to a sexual revolution that happened in the 60s I grew up in that time it was a terrible time in my lost state I thought it was wonderful there's nothing wonderful about it it's very destructive very damning very destructing and it caused so much divorce and pain and suffering this promiscuity this uh, fornication and adultery that was so rampant but what did that lead to hmm? Romans 1 verse 26 to a homosexual revolution now when did that occur in the 80s 90s we're seeing it right now this whole gender dysphoria, is it not madness? Is it not insanity? And then he says in verse 28 of the same chapter of Romans, when God begins to give over a nation. Now, I'm sorry, I, you know, I wish all I could do is present to you good news. I'm just a news reporter. I don't make the news, I report the news. Okay? I know there's some today, NSNBC and others, that make up news. We don't make up news here. We're going to report the news. I wish I had better news to report to you right now, but I don't. The only news I can report to you now is that we're already in his judgment. We've already seen this homo, the sexual revolution, the homosexual revolution, and, and now he said he gives them over to a reprobate mind. And what does that mean? They can't even think straight any longer. They can't even make common sense decisions. There is no common sense any longer. Try to make sense of, well, you can't even make sense of what the man is saying anymore, can you? Unbelievable, the decisions that they're making that harm the citizenry they're supposed to be representing. Their number one responsibility to keep us safe and then prosperous. And they do neither. Amazing. So you do understand that, right? Now, the good news in all of this is that this has to happen in order to bring about the new kingdom. 
We've been praying for 2,000 years, the church, the ecclesia. 2,000 years, we'd have been praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what's happening. Now, do you understand that? Now, if you're too wed here to this kingdom, you're not going to like that. It's all going to sound like bad news to you. But if you really understand where you're a citizen of now, where your heart and your alliance belongs, that's all good news. Why? Because we can't even wrap our mind around how wonderful it's going to be. As Paul was caught up to the third heaven and said, it'd be criminal for me to try to describe for you what I've seen. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, we're seeing the beginning of this here. As we look at, you know, chapter, Ezekiel, chapter 36, 37, 38, 39, have never become more relevant than today, right now. Isn't that amazing? Remember what 36 was? It was God reestablishing the land, recovering the land for a recovered people. And in 37, you saw the Valley of Dry Bones, and it was God bringing the people back to life and putting them back into the land. Benjamin Netanyahu in 2010 stood up in Auschwitz on September 10th, something like that, and said that Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled in our day, this time. That's what he said. What did that mean? That mean that God was bringing an aliyah, bringing all the Jews back home to Israel. And he said he was going to do that. We read that, all of those promises that he made in the, in the recovery of Israel, the restoration of the nation of Israel. He was going to bring them back from all of the nations from which they were dispersed. And is he doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, 38 describes a battle or a conflict. We went through this last week. Who's the principal instigator? Russia, Gog of the land of Magog. Now, there is no doubt in our minds, no question about who this is. The Magagites were the Scythians, the Scythians are the present-day Ruskies, okay? You can follow this anthropologically, and you'll see that you trace this people group. Now, he also is more specific, more descriptive. He says they come out from the far or the extreme north. Now, if you have a world map, you put your finger on Jerusalem, and you go to the extreme north, to the last major city going all the way as far north as you can, what do you come to? Moscow, Meshach, right? Moscow. So we understand that this principal player or the leader of this confederation of nations is Russia. Russia, they're such a peace-loving people. Russia, they wouldn't have anything against the Jews, would they? Russia, no. Who's second? Iran. Now, Iran's not called Iran in 38. What is it called? Persia. Persia. Iran was named, uh, was always Persia, renamed Iran in 1935, somewhere around there. Okay? But if you talk to Iranians today, they'll say, I'm not Iran, I'm Persian. The Persians, right? But here you have an alliance between the Russians, the Persians, and Togarma. Togarma? Turkey. 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 And then some lesser states, right? But those are the three principal players, Russia, Iran, and Turkey that they would come against Israel in the last days, in the latter days, and the leader, Gog, would come from the extreme north, instigating a war to try to destroy Israel. Well, that's already happened, hasn't it? It's all past history? No. Has it ever happened before? No. No, has there ever, ever, ever been an alliance in all of world history, in all of human history, ever been an alliance between the Russians, the Iranians, and the Turks? It was inconceivable that this desert prophet 2,500 years ago could possibly imagine this himself. He didn't make this up. It was given to him. He was reporting the news before it happened. 
<laughs> That's prophecy, okay? Where God is giving you a news report long before it happens, so you can tell people this is what's going to happen, and then when it happens, it validates or affirms or gives you more confidence in the Word of God. People ask me all the time, how do, how do you know that your Bible is true and some other religious writing isn't? Bible prophecy. One third or 30% of the Bible is prophetic, where God is telling the end at the beginning, and when it comes true, to give you a confidence and assurance, this is God's word. That's why he did that, right? And while we're sitting in our day, isn't this amazing to you? Think about it. <clears throat> now, I know that <clears throat> some people just won't want to see it. Why? Be because we measure our doctrines or our beliefs more on what we feel rather than what we Right? That's why we need to metanoia, change your thinking. My thinking has to line up with the Word of God, not what I feel. This, this whole alphabet people and the compromise that has been made in the church and so many are caving. You see what's happening, right? Part, part of the reason why there's an apostasy growing in the church is because they're caving because of their feelings to that which God says is an abomination. It's not natural, you know. And, and that's why it's taking place, because people don't think, they feel, rather than think, right? But if we think, and we, and we put our thinking in line with the Word of God, homologos, with the word, same word, same word, same thinking, same life, everything becomes so understandable. It clears out all the fog and the confusion. Of course, that's why things are happening the way they are. Isn't that true? And we can, listen, we, we can use our Bible, you can use Ezekiel 38, 39, and the rest of the book, to give you a commentary on the daily news. We're at war with Iran, do you understand that? No, we haven't admitted it yet. Well, they're at war with us. How many attacks on American installations since October 7th? Do you know? No? Huh? No. No, you're close though, 165. As of today, 165 attacks on American installations. Now, now three Americans have gotten killed, okay? But, but this has become normal, has it? Commonplace, these attacks that we're allowing. We've done nothing about it. So we're just emboldening our enemies more and more. And, and whether we want to admit it or not, Iran's at war with us. They've sworn to Israel's destruction, but there's a little Satan. We've got to destroy the big Satan. Who's that? Us, us. us. We just don't want to admit it. This present administration wanting to appease our enemies. Can you appease these people? No. 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 Anyway, chapter 38, he describes this confederation of nations that are going to come against Israel. And when's this going to happen with regard to uh, world history? When in regard to the timeline of world history? When? Latter days, end times. In the last days, the latter days, end times. This is all eschatological. Eschatology is the study of the last things or end times, what's going to happen at the very end. Should that put us in fear? Absolutely not. Because listen, God has made us so many wonderful promises that assure our hearts of his love. And love casts out all fear. Now, the world should be in fear. Like that little girl said, what's going to happen if I die in my sins? You're going to go to hell, right? Mm. No, you need to tell people and be honest. There's a judgment coming, 
Is judgment day coming? Yeah. Inevitable? Is it inevitable? Absolutely certain of it, right? Because the Bible speaks more of that period of time than almost any other. Is it escapable? Absolutely is. Only one way of escape, though. Right? There's only one fire escape. Hmm? I am the way and the truth and the life. Amen? Yeah. Now, we're seeing it all begin to take place. This is, I think this is fascinating. I, for 43 years I've been a Christian. I've never been more excited about the word of God and about my Lord's coming than I am right now. How about you? This is to excite your heart. This should not put you in fear or anxiety in any way. No, it should bring you great comfort. Hmm? So we're in chapter 39 after he described this invading force that was going to come against Israel in the latter days out of the extreme north, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and some other lesser states surrounding them. He goes on to say in chapter 39 and verse 1, And you, O son of man, prophesy against Gog. So he's asking Ezekiel, Ezekiel's the son of man in this case, to prophesy against Gog, the leader of Magog, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around, and I will lead you on, and bring you up from the, where? Far north. Look at 38.6. What does it say there? Chapter 38, verse 6. Yes, Gomer and all of its troops, the house of Togarma, uh, Gomer's the East Block nations, from the far north, and all of its troops and the people with you. Right? Verse 6. Look at verse 38.15. 38.15 says, Then you will come from your place out of the Far north. He's, you know, three times he emphasizes where they're coming from. Listen, go home, get a world map, put your finger on Jerusalem, and go as far north as you can. Bingo. The answer is given. The far north. Moscow. There it is. Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Gog of Magog. He goes on to say, Yes, I'll bring you from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Precisely what he said previously when he's talking about the mountain of Israel in 38.8. 38.8 he says... After many days, in the last days, I will be, you will be visited in the latter years, the last, the last days of the end of age, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of... Same, same, same verbiage here. So we know it's the same God speaking of the same event, the same things taking place. God has brought a regathering of his people from all the nations of the world. But principally, where was the safest place in the world for the Jews during the diaspora? America. The Jews have been persecuted everywhere in the world. You think of the programs of, uh, in Russia. They, they, the Jews haven't been safe anywhere in the world except in the United States. Who discovered America? Columbus. What was his nationality? Italian. He was an Italian. What was his ethnicity? He was a Jew. This Italian Jew discovered America. Isn't that amazing? Well, now why would God have this Italian Jew discover America? To bring us pizza. <laughs> the safest place for the Jews. He was looking. Three wealthy Jewish merchants in Europe were funding this expedition. Why? Because of the persecution, the Inquisition that was going on, the murder of Jews senselessly, innocent Jews unjustly, and looking for a place for them, a safe place in the world. And the United States happened to be the safest place for the Jews since 70 AD. Did you know that? But that's over now. The thousand musicians... There in Israel, they were singing. 
singing a song, trying to call the rest of Jewry back to Israel because it's not safe for them anywhere in the world? Do you understand the increase in anti-Semitism since October 7th? 1,200% just in France. Washington, D.C., something like 1,000%. I mean, it's just, you have students now in universities of higher education that have to hide their ethnicity. They can't openly declare in any way that they're Jewish because they're being persecuted, threatened. Unbelievable. Hmm? What does that indicate for you? What does that indicate for me? What I see that as a sign that God has done and accomplished what he desired to do with the United States. And now they're going home. They've been called home. No, 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 we, we, we failed. Oh, it could have been far more. God had so much more in mind for us, so much more. But we failed. We got lost and drunk in our prosperity and our pleasures. When did this all begin, this slide away from the Lord? Before then, right after World War II, right after World War II, our forefathers, the greatest generation, they, they fought the war overseas, didn't they? They fought the axis of evil, but they never fought the spiritual battle that was here. They never got engaged. How many men completely disengaged in the spiritual warfare that takes place? You know, the, the churches in America for years now, since World War II, been mainly led on the shoulders of women, not men. It should have never been that way. And we called that the greatest generation. Why? We gave all the credit to them and our military and our might rather than the Lord. There were so many evidences of the fact that God helped us win the victory in World War II. And have we won a conflict since? No. Isn't that amazing to you? We've not won. Think about it. Korean War, Vietnam, Afghanistan, today. We haven't won, we haven't won a conflict since. Strongest military in the world. Hmm. It's a cyclic. Weak men produce difficult times. Difficult times produce strong men. Strong men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. And here we go again. So what period are we in now? In the weak man. Producing very difficult times for us, huh? Yeah. Just a little uh, update on the geopolitical situation. <clears throat> Where am I? And I will turn you around, lead you on, chapter 39. Bring you up from the far north, bring you against the mountains of Israel, verse 3. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall from your right. Bows and arrows. Hmm? Now, he can only describe things based upon the nomenclature that he has. Has Ezekiel ever seen a missile or a missile launcher? No. But what does he see fire across the sky? A missile. A missile. Um, you know, Asaph was? Hmm? Asaph was a worship leader, but he was also a prophet. A lot of his psalms that he wrote, he wrote many of the psalms that's in the book of Psalms, and a lot of them have a prophetic uh, nuance to them. Go to Psalm 76 for a minute. Now, naturally, in the original manuscripts, there's no chapter or verse distinctions. There's no heading over the chapters. But how about your Bible? Do you have a heading over your chapter? I'm saying loud. Who can stand before you? Now, who's the you? It's God, obviously. Yeah. Anybody else have another heading? The glorious might of God. Okay. Anybody else? 
the victorious power of the God of Jacob. You have something? That's what yours says. Yeah. And mine says, uh, says something. What does it say? The majesty of God in judgment. Okay? So what Psalm 76 deals with is God's delivering power over for Jacob, coming to their deliverance when it appears to be a David-Goliath situation all over again. But God rescues them. Now, there could be some reason to believe that there's an immediate fulfillment to this or something he's remembering of the past, but I personally believe that this is prophetic because he's speaking of a long-term fulfillment of this prophecy. Some would say it's, well, it's, it's during the time that the Assyrians had encircled Jerusalem during King Hezekiah's reign. You remember that? And what happened then? 185,000 Assyrians were killed, right? Because the army of Israel was so mighty powerful, right? Is that what happened? No, 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 no. Hezekiah went into the Lord and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord sent one angel. Now, angels are what gender? Are you sure? There's a lot of confusion out there about angels, aren't there? You see these little baby angels? You see these female angels? No, 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 no. You, listen, if you saw an angel tonight, you'd have to go home and change your pants. Okay? I'm serious. They're, they're, they're mighty, marvelous creatures that God created, right? And so when they prayed, Israel didn't defend themselves. God defended Israel. They never had to fire an arrow or sling a stone. That one night, an angel was sent out and killed 185,000 Assyrians, and then they all ran home, the rest of them, right? What was left. So that's obviously not what this is talking about. But I think, again, this has a long range or a long-term application. And what did we say he's going to knock out of their hands just now? Their arrows and their bows, right? Well, look at Psalm 76 for a minute. To the chief musician on stringed instruments, the Psalm of Asaph, a song. It is wonderful how these guys were not uh, in any way effeminate. Who was one of the greatest psalmists of Israel? David. David was not just a psalmist, the sweet psalmist of Israel. What else was David? A mighty warrior. David was a mighty warrior. Saul killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, okay? So there's nothing effeminate about David. There was nothing effeminate about Asaph. These were men who were men's men, but loved the Lord. A real man loves God, doesn't he? A real man represents Jesus. Who is the model of, of manhood more than anybody else? Jesus is. Jesus. Not Joe Rogan. No. no. <laughs> who? You don't know who that is? That's good for you. Most popular blogger in the world right now. But, but most, unfortunately, most men who kind of feel insecure about their manhood think he's the example of manliness and is not. No, no, no. Jesus is, first and foremost, right? Okay. Anyway, in Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. Uh, is it okay if we spend the rest of our time just going through this psalm? Because we're not going to go back to Ezekiel 39. We'll cover that next week. Thank you. Judah, why Judah? What does that bring to your remembrance? In Judah, God is known. Why Judah? The Messiah comes from the tribe of? Yeah. First time he came as the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world. Next time he comes as the, of the tribe of Judah, right? And then it says, in Judah, God is, what's the word known here? 
Anybody have an, have a, a translation from the Hebrew? I'm sorry? It's Yada. From Judah, God is Yada. What does that mean? Intimate relationship as a, as a man would know his wife intimately. As Abraham, Yada, Sarah, right? This intimacy of relationship he's talking about, it's, it's through Judah, through the line of the tribe of Judah, that God has really known Yada, the Lord. And what's he going to say? And his name is great in Israel. What's his name? This, this one from Judah, who we're going to allow us to Yada, the Lord Almighty. What's his name? Yahshua, Jesus, Yeshua, right? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. When you really understand it from the Jewish perspective, it becomes so meaningful, doesn't it? Of course. It makes all the sense in the world that the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, you've got to be very careful now. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me. You don't ever want to hear God say, depart from me. I never yada you. you. You had some information about me. You had religion, but we didn't have an intimate relationship. We didn't know one another heart to heart. Your life wasn't given over to me as a woman would give herself over to a man, you see. But Lord, Lord, didn't we? Now, there'll be many who say to him in that day, Lord, didn't we? This is in the same text when he's giving the message. Now, listen to me. Wide is the gate and broad is the way. That leads to what? Hollywood. But no, no, no. <laughs> Death and destruction and few. He said, wide is the gate, broad is the way, straight and difficult. Oh, excuse me. No, no, I'm, I'm confused. Wait. Broad is the gate, wide is the way that leads to death and destruction, but narrow is the gate, straight and difficult is the way. That what? And how many will lead that? Few. Oh, he's confused. There's, there's 305 million Christians in America. He's confused. Can't possibly be narrow. Can't possibly be a few. Is that true or not? Why? Because what he's talking about is the many and the wide way and the broad way is they have a religion, but they don't have a relationship. See, that's the difference. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, you're a religious person. I said, no, I'm not. Wait a minute, you're a pastor, aren't you? Yes, I am. But you're religious. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm a spiritual person. I have a spiritual relationship with God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in my life. That's made me a spiritual man. That's the difference, isn't it? Here, the psalmist is making clear, listen, many in Israel had religion. They didn't have a relationship with God. Do you know the difference? Do you? When you do, it touches your heart. And when it touches your heart, it changes your life. You'll never, ever, ever be the same person. 43 years ago, I came to know the Lord. Yada. And my life has not been the same since. Too many people claim to know Jesus, and their life hasn't changed at all. And they're no different than their unsaved neighbors, except where they show up on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, maybe a couple times a month, if that. Listen, that's, that's not salvation. My son, in witnessing to his father-in-law last night, mentioned a couple of other family members. And so, well, you know, they go to church. He says, yeah, but they're, they're you know, no, it's not the same. It's not, it's not like you and Shannon, right? They're not like, no, no, no. There's a lot of people that go to church. They don't. He's an unbeliever. 
You can see the difference. Unbelievers see the difference, don't they? Unbelievers know when it's genuine and when it's not, when it's just hypocrisy, when all you're doing is checking a block and you've got religion, but you don't have a relationship. Listen, for all of us tonight, we need to double down and make sure that we know, that we know, that we know. We adopt the Lord. We know the Lord. That he is first in your heart before anything else. That's what it means. Hmm. Interesting. And then he becomes your strength, your power, your deliverer. In Salam, what's Salam? Ancient word for Salem, Salem. In Salam also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion, Mount Zion, Calvary, where he broke the arrows of the bow. Anybody have a translation on that word arrows? That's why I got there, because we were talking about bows and arrows being knocked out of the hands of Magog and Magog, right? You up there, Darren? You got a translation on that word for me? Anybody? I don't, I don't want to give it to you. I want you to. I'm sorry? Flashing through the air. Flashing through, flashing through the air. Burning heat. Burning heat. Hot, thunderbolt. Hot thunderbolts. Lightning. Flashes in the air. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like a lot of rockets or missiles, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like any arrow I know. You know? <laughs> Nothing the American Indians knew. Right? <laughs> That's interesting. That's why I said this thing has a, a prophetic nuance to it. Yes, broke the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword in battle. Selah, what'd you think about this? That, listen, that, that, that. do you think that just these three verses are enough to go home and think about? What do you think, Nathan? Yeah. It, it's caused me to think deeply. I, I want to know that I know that I know. I want every assurance of knowing he's first in my heart. I love my wife, but she's not first. I love my son, but he's not first. God has to be first in our hearts. Then I can be everything she needs me to be, everything my son needs me, everything you need me to be as your pastor, as your brother, as your friend. Do you understand that? A lot of controversy about the rapture. If there even is one, when it, when it happens, who goes, blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody, what's the requirement to be raptured? What's the one requirement in order to be raptured? What? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. It's simple. It's not your performance. You can't perform. Did I sin today? <laughs> How many of those cookies did I eat? Oh, yeah, about a dozen. Hmm. The question is, is he first in your heart? That's the question. That's, that's all that's required to be rapture ready. You understand? I know you love Deb, but you got to love Jesus more, right? Rapture, I know you love me, right? But you got to love Jesus more. That's a good-looking Mustang you got there, Tom. I see you keep it well polished. And you love your car, but you got to love Jesus more. You know, it can't, listen, it can't be a person, can't be a possession, can't be a pleasure, right? Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those will tri get us tripped up. We need to be certain that first and foremost in our heart is Jesus. Now, we appreciate all these blessings he's given us, don't we? I love my wife. I'm so thankful that God has given me a gift. I'm thankful for my house. 
I get into my warm bed, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm in my bed, I'm thankful for my, uh, my flannel sheets. I thank you for my soft pillow, all four of them, you know. <laughs> but what if we didn't have any of those things? We just finished Christmas. What if all that Christmas means to you is gone? And all you have for Christmas is Jesus. Is that enough? Of course he is. Present enough. <laughs> yeah. Verse 4. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. What's he talking about there? Any hunters here? Anybody hunters? Any outdoorsmen? Any hikers? You know, you know. Think, think about the most majestic place you've ever been in the world, in the mountains. Think about the Northwest. You've been to uh, Alaska, right? You've been Canadian Rockies. I've been to Canadian Rockies, Banff, uh, up in Calgary. Oh, my God. Just gorgeous. These mountains are gorgeous, and the wilderness goes for miles and miles and miles, and it's rich with game, Right? And that's what he's talking about there. Now, think, think about how glorious that would be. Now, for the people in that day, that's how they survived, right? They would hunt game. If you didn't have any game, you, you were in trouble. You know. I remember going to certain places in Central America, and, and you see these beautiful mountains, these rainforests. There's no creatures there. It's been hunted out of extinction. Nothing, right? But what he's talking about here is these, these glorious mountains, these gorgeous mountains, and they're just filled with game to bring life, right? Provide clothing, provide food, etc., etc. Hmm? That's what they survived on. But he's saying God is far more glorious than any of that provision of life. Is that not true? Yeah. I look to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. More glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found use with their hands. All of the mighty, the proud, these, these people who are trying to conquer over the, who the psalmist is talking about, the oppressed, now their hands are shaking. They lost all their strength and their power. Now what is sleep referring to? Their death. Their death. Verse 6. At your rebuke, God's rebuke, O God of Jacob. Aren't you glad he's the God of Jacob? He doesn't say the God of Israel, does he? Why, why are you glad he's the God of Jacob, Christy? Lord, so <laughs> 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 Jacob was a dirty, rotten scoundrel, right? Yeah, yeah. But he was called Israel later, right? Governed by God, but, but that's what happened to us, isn't he? We were the, we were the, he's the God of Jacob's, but now we are Israel governed by God, but he'll protect us, watch over us, keep us. He not, listen, not only that saving grace, but how often I've told you, it's marvelous to think about his keeping grace. How he, if you give him your heart, he'll never let you take it back, and he'll watch over you for the rest of your days, keeping you. <laughs> At your rebuke, O God of Israel. Both the chariot and the horse were cast into a dead sleep, destroyed, gone. You remember when the children of Israel had, had come out of Egypt, making the exodus, and God told them, don't go this way, but go this way, right? By the way of the sea. But it was a dead end. And Pharaoh said, aha, they're confused. Their GPS isn't working. 
<laughs> We've got them. They had, they had the Red Sea in front of them, right? A mountain to the left, a mountain to the right, and Pharaoh's army behind them. And God said, don't be concerned. Wait and see the deliverance of the Lord. And all that night, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, right? A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, came between the camp of Israel and the army of Pharaoh. All night. And all night, God allowed the east wind to dry up the Red Sea. And that morning, all of Israel, two million plus people, crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. But what did Moses tell the children of Israel? That night, the last thing he told them, God says, you will not see the Egyptians or Pharaoh's face ever again anymore. Isn't that wonderful? One day, one day we're going to be taken out of here and we will not see evil or the enemy or any of the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that he causes ever again. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. yeah. You yourselves are to be feared and you may stand and, and who may stand in your presence? He says, for you, you yourself are to be feared. God is to be feared and reverenced, right? The problem in our culture today, there's no fear of God. There's no fear of any punishment. There's no fear of a what if. There's no fear that eventually there's going to be a day of accounting, a day of reckoning. There'll be a day of justice where every devil will get their due and every saint will get his reward. I'm so thankful for that. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? Now, that's why I say I think this is prophetic. He's going out to the very end of time when God finally has decided to allow the reservoir of his wrath to break forth, and he's beginning to judge this world. Next week, when we get back into chapter 39 of Ezekiel, you're going to see that God allows the beasts of the field and the birds of the air to do what? to come to his sacrificial meal. He's taking all these enemies of Israel who are coming against Israel. He's supernaturally going to destroy them, and he's going to allow these, these birds of prey and these beasts in the field to devour their flesh. That's after the war of Gog-Magog. Is that pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Why do you think it's pre-trib? You don't know? Why is it pre-trib? There's evidence in the text where it's pre-trib. I'm sorry? No? No, there's going to be these, uh, these, this energy supply that's left in the battlefield after the conflict. Israel's going to use that energy for how long? Seven. Oh, seven years. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. Now, we don't know that it's exact, exactly going to start after that conflict, but we know it's pre-trib, okay? And, and, but there's a sacrificial meal that God provides for the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, of the enemies of Israel. He does this again once time at the end of the age. When does he do that? When? Armageddon, chapter 19 of the Revelation. He says, come again to my sacrificial meal. Feed yourself to the full, you ravens, you eagles, you vultures, you carnivore, right? Hmm. Verse 8, you caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to, judge, to judgment, to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. Who were the most persecuted people on the face of the earth? Jews. Jews. 
the, the oppressed of the earth. Now listen to me. We're going, very soon, we're going to see the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed. What does that mean? The last Gentile is saved by grace, right? And, and then God's, as far as the church age is concerned, that's over. And God, be, excuse me, God begins to work primarily in the act of salvation upon the Jewish people, upon Israel, right? Now, Israel is the most oppressed people on the face of the earth right now. And even then, who's going to be oppressing them even more? The Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, Satan in the flesh. He hates God's people. He hates the Jews, and he hates those who embrace Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Christians. Now, there's going to be an apostate church. He has no problem with them, does he? No, because they're apostate. Hmm? Yes, God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you with the reminder of wrath you shall gird yourself. What is he saying there? Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. What is that about? The wrath of man. Are you angry about anything? Is your wrath excited about anything? How about a whole, a whole political party wanting the right? Number one platform, kill children. Kill babies. Does that not make you angry? Israel of old, surrounded by Babylon, so filled with themselves, so prideful in their army, in their wealth. And then when that day came and that siege of Babylon, uh, Jerusalem took place by the Babylonians, God said, eat your gold and silver. Go on, eat it. What did they eat? They didn't eat their gold and silver. They ate their babies and their dead neighbors and their relatives because they had no food, nothing to survive on. Are we eating our children? Was it 1,500 a day? How many in abortion? 73 million already? Does that make you angry? Do you not cry out for justice? And then those who make it out of, the, out of the womb into this world, look what we've done to them. Look at the confusion we brought into their life, how we're psychologically damaging them, physically mutilating their bodies, telling boys they're girls, girls they're boys. What in the shield is going on? Doesn't that make you mad? Don't you cry out for justice? How in the world, I better, I better not say this, I'm going to get kicked off YouTube anyway. How did he get more votes than Barack Obama and he campaigned from his basement? It's amazing. <laughs> Does that not make you mad? I'm talking about Biden. Bi Biden received more votes in the last election than did Obama. Tell me how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't know Democrats had the power to resurrect the dead, did you? <laughs> are, there any, are there any things going on in this culture, in this world right now that make you so upset that you cry out for justice? You know, there's a whole group of people in Revelation underneath the altar of God, clothed in white robes, who came out of the Great Tribulation, but there was so much injustice. You talk about the bloodshed on October 7th. You know, what Israel does to wake up some of these politicians and these news media personnel, they bring them into a room and they show them all the video evidence of what happened. The bar it, was, it was inhumane. It was demonic. It was devilish. What had taken place? 
I can't even describe it to you in this mixed company with these women here. But it was unbelievable. The violence was absolutely beyond what is natural. It was a supernatural evil being perpetrated that day. Well, that's exactly what takes place during the tribulation period. And these souls, these righteous, they're crying out before God day and night, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you avenge our blood? That's what he's talking about there. They're crying out for justice, Lord. When are you going to stop all of this, Lord? Verse 10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you, and the reminder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. The Lord is preparing himself for battle. There's coming a day of reckoning. Make no mistake about it. God isn't this, this, this toothless grandfather who accepts all of our accommodations and compromise and appeasement. No, he's just giving us enough time and enough rope to do what? You know, if, if, the, if the previous administration did one thing only, it revealed, God used that administration to reveal how much corruption and evil was going on in our nation. It would have been hidden. We wouldn't have known the half of it had the other party got elected at that time. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable to me. This is not the America I grew up in. No, it doesn't resemble it at all. And therefore, therefore, verse 11, make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. What do we have to do? Metanoia, repent, confess, and submit. That's your vow. That's, what, that's the vow we should make to God. We, we repent. God, God you're, you're right. I'm a sinner, God, and I am helplessly lost in my sin. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your forgiveness. But then I need the power of your Holy Spirit over that sin that would so captivate me, Lord. So I repent and I confess. And the next thing I do, I surrender and submit my life to him. That's what he's talking about there, the vows. Make your vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. What's the present he's looking for more than anything else? Romans 12. What does Romans 12 say? I, yeah. I beseech you. I beg you. I implore you. Only one way it can be done, though. By the mercies of God. Only God can give you the ability. Hey, young man. What's your name? Cole. Hi, Cole. Are you a priest? No, sir. The Bible says you're a priest. Are you a Christian? Yes, you're a priest. We're all priests. The Bible says we're all priests unto our God. You know what it means? To be a priest... The priests had the responsibility, they were ordained by God, to officiate in the sacrificial system of Israel, right? Only the priests could offer sacrifice. Remember when Saul did that? He got impatient waiting for Samuel? Got himself in big trouble, right? Only the priests could do that. You know what was required to be a priest, Cole? You had to have Levi jeans. <laughs> right? You had to have Levi jeans in order to be a priest. Now, now the, what did the priests do? They were ordained to do what? Offer sacrifice unto the Lord. Why are we all priests? Because we offer a sacrifice unto God. Nobody else in the world can offer. And what's that sacrifice? Our own life. That's what he's talking about. That, that's the present. 
I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God that you offer yourself a living sacrifice unto God, holy, acceptable, which is your well-pleasing service or worship of God. That's what he's talking about. Have you brought that present to God that he's looking for? Listen, he created this whole world and everything in it for whose pleasure? For yours. Make no mistake about it. The Bible's clear. He created this whole world and everything in it for your pleasure. He said, I'll wait till you see the sandbox I'm making for my kids. Huh? And all the good toys I'm going to... My neighbor made a sandbox for his girls. You know, he just went to this laboratory and they got all these toys in a bounce house and, and those kids have a ball back there. You know, that's what I think of, you know. God created this big sandbox for us. And all that's in it, it's created for our pleasure. One thing he created for his own, for his own pleasure. And what was that? You. Isn't that amazing? You. That's what he's looking for. Your heart, your life. That you present yourself to him. A living sacrifice. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. And he shall cut off the spirit of princes. Military leaders is what this word means. He is awesome to the kings of the earth, the governmental rulers, those who are high and mighty, those who think they control the world. You know, it's been uh, theorized, and I have to agree to some extent, that we don't have to worry about some nation taking control of the globe, like China or Russia. Who's going to control the globe more than anybody else? Not, not, not in the supernatural, in the natural now. The elite and the high tech. They're, they're becoming the masters of the universe. You understand that, right? They had them all before Congress, right, this week. Why? Because the ex exploitation of children that they accommodate? Yeah, we devour our children. Mm. The good news is there's a better world coming. The, the bad news is, you know, it's going to get a little worse before it gets better, okay? I'm sorry, I'm just, I don't make the news, I just report the news, okay? But it's going to be a wonderful day. Hang in there. Put all your trust and your hope in him, and he will deliver you, just like he delivers Israel. All those who trusted him, not in horses, not in chariots, but the name of the Lord our God, the one from Judah, Yahshua. Do you yada the Lord? That's what I want you to go home and sleep on. Seriously, do you really know the Lord? There's so many who know about the Lord. But you know, by the way, they live their life. They don't know the Lord. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.